Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. series about Proverbs, and we've talked about wisdom as becoming skilled at life. You can actually become skilled at life. So wisdom would be the skillful life. We want to learn how to live from God. We want to know how he created things, right? So we talked the first week that to, to really have wisdom, you have to agree that God has created a moral order to the universe, He has literally inserted his moral order into the universe, which means there are certain things you can do and ways you can live that live into that order in a way that you have peace, or the Old Testament would say shalom, and there's ways that you can live that are out of order. And we even talked about this is why you see sometimes non-Christians are living into the order of how God created the universe, and they're being blessed. Right? They love their spouse, they love their children, they serve their community, they're generous with their money, and it, and it feels like they have a common grace on their life. And it's because, whether they know it or not, they're living into how God has ordered things, uh, which is just really fun. So uh, about three years ago, just to start with a little story, I um, had a, just a random health problem, right? Just like something weird's happening in your body, and you're like, what? And, and I've just, I've never had anything like you know, I've never had any, I broke my wrist in college, I've done a couple things, but I've never had anything like strange health incident. But I was having these headaches and they were behind my eyeball, which is a part of your body that you never think about, right? You never think about this, what's going on behind my eyeball? What's back there? I, I couldn't even, it was like, but I was having these headaches, they would turn my head and they would be like, something was stabbing the back of my eyeball. And it was going on for, you know, three days, four days, seven days. It hit week two, and I thought, I should probably go to the doctor, right? That's, that's the male brain. Maybe somebody could help me. Um, so I go to Annie's family doctor, and it's, it's a doctor um, who's just this brilliant man. He was on the verge of retirement, since retired. It's such a sadness, because he was like the, probably the best, like top 0.01% in the entire world. And so I described to him what's happening, and it was the most amazing thing. I sat there on this little thing, and he looked at me, and he asked me 40 questions in a row. When does it hurt? How does it hurt? When did it happen? Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? I mean, literally, stream of consciousness questions. And it was all over the board about what I eat and how I sleep, and, and I mean, I'm just like, trying to keep up with the questions. And really, in some ways, I'm like, where's he coming up with these? Like, are these just like loaded in his brain? And we get to the end, he goes, here's what I think you have. It's a unique kind of headache. Um, And he says, the only way you know you have this type of headache is if the medicine I give you works. It's the only way to diagnose it is if I give you this medicine, it's medicine for arthritis. (laughs) And if it solves it, that's the kind of headache you have. 
And I took the medicine, it went away. And he said, some people it goes away for others. Others have to come back and take it. I took it, went away, I've never had it again. But it was the craziest thing because it was the most complex set of questions leading to the simplest answer possible. And I think so many times um, in our life, we take complex problems and we think they require complex solutions. And many times the most complex problems require the simplest solutions. And this is really true in religion, right? Religious people make simple things complex so they can look good and sound wise, right? It's like, oh, if I can make this so complex that I explain it to somebody, their brain hurts, all of a sudden I look really wise and smart. Wow, you've really read a lot, man. You're just, you're just like impressed. Godly people make complex sim- things simple so they can move into obedience quickly and trust the Holy Spirit to work out the details as they move along. Godly people go, how do I move the fastest into obedience? Even if it's not full obedience, I don't even know what this means, but I don't have to have it all figured out. I just need to take the first step that I absolutely know God asks me to do. One man said it this way. He said, it's as if the motive of the Pharisees was to keep asking questions so as to avoid obedience. If I can make it more complex, if I can, make, if I can ask questions, if I go, oh, I'm just trying to drill down. It's like, no, 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 you're not. <laughs> you're just trying to avoid the simple answer that you already know is there. So let's start here. What I, I want to share this morning before we get into our topic that simple obedience and simple wisdom can and will change your life. And maybe even change your life the most. And I know uh, some of it may sound old school and it may seem like it can't challenge, you know, the big problems of your life, but it can and it will. And I know we all want like the killer app, right? We want the life hack. Like we want like, you know, it's like, and oh, I can't talk about that. So we, we you have Noom, you know, they're like, you got to do Noom. Somebody lost weight. And I looked at it and I was like, I just Weight Watchers on an app. That's all it is. And, and it's like, and I can't. I can't do that kind of stuff. But it's like, I just want an app. I want something that delivers to me discipline, you know, all these things. And, and most times it's just pretty simple. And uh, the, the, there's no killer app for life. <laughs> there's no hack into, into the life of godliness that God describes. The good life as God sees it is one through small decisions every day uh, in life according to his word. And uh, it's like this thing I was, I was thinking about. It's like, I wish wisdom just descended like a dove into our hearts. So you just prayed for it and it just came down and now I have it. Um, but it's more like building a house, right? You have an end picture in mind, but it starts with the simplest thing of just clearing it out, getting the earth flat. <laughs> what kind of foundation are you going to lay, right? Is it going to be, uh, is it going to be concrete? Is it going to be pier and beam? Is it, what is it going to be? And then you just kind of keep going, but you don't start with the end picture, right? You start with the beginning. So this morning, we're going to talk about money. And the congregation said, yay, praise the Lord. We love this. We love money, talking about it. Um, so what we're going to do, though, is we're going to talk about it in such a simple and practical way that I think it might actually be difficult for you to believe that it works. Because it's so simple. Now, simple doesn't equal easy. Simple means you can grasp it easily. You can understand the concept easily. Putting into practice might be difficult, but um, we, I just want to remind us that proverbs are not foolproof, right? And it's interesting, that word makes a lot of sense with proverbs, right? Uh, so, so they don't work all the time in every situation. They're generalized, right? They're easily memorable, and they mostly work, 
right? They mostly work, but there, there are things, right, that we have resistance. So I, I always want to remind you, we have three things conspiring against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? If there wasn't the world, there wasn't your flesh, and there wasn't the devil, these things would work all the time, every time, because the world would be perfect. It'd be as God intended it into the garden, in the garden, and yet we know it's not that way. But these simple things, if you put them into practice with money, they will safeguard your life. They'll prepare you and position you for God to bless what you're doing. So let's, let's start here. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. With new wine. So this is the foundation of wisdom with your finances is this, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That, that's where it starts. Honor the Lord with your wealth. So before anything else, we have to set our intentions about what our purpose is with the financial uh, resources that God gives us, right? So what are your intentions with money? If you could do an internal survey right now, is it to attain wealth? Is it to have independence? Is it to send your kids to college? Is it to retire early? Is it to enjoy leisure and pleasure and travel? Is it to look good to others? Is it to give generously? Is it to bless the next generation? What, what is it when you think about it? Or is it simply at the, at the very base, I want to honor the Lord with my wealth, right? With everything he puts into my hand, I want to honor him with it. Everything I do, every dollar I get, I want it to prove that God is God and I am not. That his glory is the most important thing in my life. So I'm going to honor him with my wealth. So this morning, we're going to do something that should be really fun. Um, we're going to walk through a document that's one of the first things I ever heard in Annie's family. Um, and uh, I, I got swept into this, this family meeting where they were talking about finances and how to be good stewards. And it was Annie and all of her cousins. So if you see any of the Humphreys crew, just stand up and walk out. It's because they heard this already, not because they reject it. There's like, I've heard this so many times. So I, I'm literally just good. But I remember sitting there go like, people do this? People get their children in a room and their nieces and nephews, and they talk about money. They actually, like, talk about it. Because my family never talked about money, partly because we didn't have any. But partly because what we did have, we didn't, nobody ever really trained us how to use it. Or it was just kind of the saying, hey, money's something you never talk about. It's just like the most private thing in your life. And yet I sat there, and so Kirk, Annie's dad, shared the wisdom of his dad, who was affectionately known as Poppy. And he distilled it into eight rules or uh, I think eight biblical foundations for a successful life, all, all dealing with finances. So I'm just going to share these with you this morning because it struck me. Um, in some ways, what's interesting, some of it was similar to how I was raised in terms of generosity and living according to the Bible. And then there's so much that I just didn't know that literally has changed my life. And as I speak to people, as I talk to people about money, about finances, it's amazing how these simple biblical guidelines can work into us. So um, we're going to talk across the board this morning, um, like not just about, you know, most money talks you hear, you hear it's mostly about generosity. This is going to touch like how you run your business. This is going to touch uh, how you treat your employees. This is, I mean, it's, it's really cool because it's practical biblical wisdom for all of your life, right? So all of your life and financial de dealings isn't just what ends up in your bank account. It's about how you earn it. It's about how you treat the people who work for you. It's about how you deal in the community. So remember, uh, there are definitely ways for you to poke holes in these rules, 
right? If you just want to be like, ah, I don't know, that's Old Testament. This is, you know, you're just like, that sounds like a law. That sounds religious. You can do that all day long. I'm going to remind you of my favorite quote. The cynic knows the cost of everything and the value of nothing. The cynic knows the cost of everything. They just quickly identify what's wrong with things and, and they never get to the value of things. And so we don't want to be the people in this church who just quickly, ah, poke holes. I, I, I've got this thing, I've got this baggage. We want to open our hearts and we want to hear from God. So let's dig in together. Um, first rule, right? And I would, I would highly encourage you to take notes, but I will also send you this document if you want it. God owns it all. That's just, the, that is the basis, right? Why do we honor God with our wealth? It's because it all belongs to him. He owns it all, right? Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's, and listen, everything in it. <laughs> everything, these pews, this floor, this roof, your heart, your children, your money, your house, this city, <laughs> everything belongs to God. The world and all its people belong to him. I love that. If you start there, all of a sudden, you know what happens in your life? Is your hands start to do this. Just slowly, the stuff that we have gripped and grasped tightly to just starts to slowly open up. God owns everything. And here, here's the thing you also need to know. God is good. <laughs> He's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. So the person who owns everything actually wants to give you good things. So you can open your hands knowing he owns it all. You can, just, you, can, you can acknowledge that and agree with it in a way that releases you from anxiety. Cast all your anxiety. So, so this is a big one. So many of us have so many scripts about money, right? That we've received scarcity mindsets or money will make you happy or you need money to control your life. And this is just us casting all those things on God. God, you own it all. You care for me. I'll trust you with it. I'll trust you to lead me. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to get it perfect in any season of my life because the Holy Spirit lives in me. So as I stray, God's just going to bring me back. God owns it all. Um, number two, this is just easy. And I know you're going to be like, I've heard this before. I know you've heard it before. <laughs> Give the first 10%. But I love that. Give the first, right? Because it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with one, the best part of everything you produce. That's, and that's an interesting thought, right? Because that's, that's an agricultural term, but if you could think about the best of everything you produce, if you're an artist in here, God's like, I want the best of what you produce. I want the most beautiful thing you produce. I just want it, I want it to be, and what's interesting is he actually is saying, it's mine, but I want it to be ours. When you share it with me, it becomes ours. And we're playing together in this thing. And then he will fill your barns, right? So the, with the first fruits, the first 10%, you honor God with it. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives, Deuteronomy 14, 23. But here's, here's what I know. Many of us, and, and however it's happened, we give when we're inspired, or we give when we're, we feel guilty, or we give out of religious duty. And none of those are the way that God asks us to give. God wants us to give cheerfully, consistently, freely, and sacrificially, Right? And it's, just, and it's just that thing over and over again that works into our hearts. We stop being like, we start like, we stop just acting in generosity and obedience and we become generous people. 
That's what virtue is. Virtue is a practice that works into your life to where you become it. So you practice kindness until you become kind. And then it's just who you are in Jesus. He's actually made you kind. But you have to practice. And part of that practice is with our wealth. We want to give the first 10%. And again, I know you could be like, ah, that's Old Testament. What is it for Christians? And, you know, Tim Keller would just challenge you and say, do we have more or less of God's revelation today? And everyone would say, we have more in Jesus Christ and the new covenant. And he, he would just say, so do you think we should give more now than we did back then? Anyway, so you get stuck in these, these games, right? And so, so what I would just, I would really encourage you to do is to start and just test the Lord in it. Just take it next month, give 10% of your money away, and you, you're going to say, where? Where should I give it? And I would just say, in one sense, it doesn't matter. In another sense, it really matters. So if you're a Christian and you are part of a local family, it matters that you give generously inside that family. It just matters to God. And part of the reason is because this is his bride. There's nothing else you can give to that is Jesus' bride. This is, this is it, right? This is the family. And yet, if you need to get started some other way, get started. Just start giving. And, and this is the place, friends, where I, I'm so glad that I— I literally, when I became a Christian at 19 and fully understood and like just really came back to Jesus, I just started doing financially what my parents did, which was give 10% to the church and give above and beyond to missions and to others. That's right, because it's the simplest way to start because you just do one. <laughs> you don't have to evaluate all the nonprofits in your life. You don't have to do all this stuff. You just start. And so I just started that way. And God has, has blessed my finances in ways that would astound you. Right? And even that, you might need to just swallow that and sit with it because that sounds weird to you. <laughs> but it says, God will bless you if you honor him with your wealth. That's his word, not mine. <laughs> right? So his word. So, so that's what Annie and I have done since we've been married. We give 10% of our income to Skyline. We give above and beyond to our Christmas offering and to every other nonprofit we give to. And then we live generously with everything else with our friends and family and strangers. And so what that done in our life is it's guaranteed I'd never given less than 10%. And that's not bragging. And I'll just be honest with you. Because I started at 19, giving is the easiest thing I do as a Christian. It's the easiest thing I do. It's much harder to be gentle with my speech. <laughs> I'm like, if you'll just let me write a check, I will write you a check. <laughs> like, if I just, like, don't put me in that situation where I'll be mean to somebody. I just, Right? And, and, and so it, it is actually that simple. It's just to get started and knowing that God's heart is that he would get the first and best of your life. He'd get the first and best of your time. He'd get the first and best of your talent. He'd get the first and best of your treasure. What do you do next? You save the next 10%. Right? So you give the first 10, you save the next 10. Proverbs says, the wise man saves for his future. The foolish man spends whatever he gets. And, and, and it has never been easier than today to spend all of your money because we have so many varied ways to spend it and there are so many assaults on your checkbook. Every time you open Instagram, do you see Instagram finally admitted they're a marketing company? They literally, before Congress, were like, well, actually, we're a marketing company. That's what we do. We sell ads. We're not here to make you happy. We're not here to connect you. We're here to sell you stuff, Right? And so it, it, it is hard right now to save because there's so much cool stuff to buy, right? 
And we live in such abundance and security in some ways that we're like, well, my check will be there next month. Or I, I have excess, so I can just keep, I can keep rolling through and it's okay. But the wise person saves for the future. And what I love about this little sheet that uh, Andy's dad put together, one of these things under here, he says, not only that you learn to save, but you actually help your people save. You help your children learn how to save. If you have employees, you bless them. You help them start 401ks and you give them these kind of things that help them understand the goodness of saving and the wisdom of it. And I remember uh, Annie's dad telling a story about somebody who worked for them. And I think she was a secretary. And when she first started, she was really young. And they were like, listen, open up this account and we'll help you. And he's like, the, the amount of money she retired with was astronomical. Because she did it for 40 years. She just listened and she did what they said. And it was like, she retired one day. And they're like, I can't believe how much money she has in that account. It's wild. But it's like, it just started with saving that next 10%. So you, you give first, you save next. And, and what he would say is you, you, you pay God and you pay yourself. I love that though. It's like you, your priorities are in order, right? So you, you save. Um, because one of the things that, that Proverbs talks about is, is if you don't save and you hit disaster, then you become a burden on your neighbor, right? Now, you can become, you can do that even if you do all the things right. You can do everything right. You can give 10%. You can save 10%. You can try to do your best and disaster can still hit your finances, Right? And that's why we're all here. <laughs> it's so that there was no needy among them. That's what the New Testament church looks like. And yet, God says, don't let that happen to you because you are unwise. That's what God would say. If disaster hits, it hits. But don't let disaster hit you because of your own actions. Right? Peter says, listen, if you get persecuted, let it be, don't let it be because you're, you're doing things wrong. Right? So, save the next 10%. Pretty simple, right? What do you do next? You live on the 80% without debt. And this is an interesting one. I realized like we could, we could talk all about this, but this is a basic principle. Live on the next 80% without debt. Proverbs 22 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave of the lender. Why do the rich rule over the poor? Because the poor get in debt that they cannot get out of and that debt services the wealth of others. And so early in your life, it's really important that you make sure you don't end up a slave to the lender. Now, I, I, I get it. There's, there's, if you're in business, you're like, there's good debt and there's bad debt. So I would say this mainly um, uh, is, is looking at like consumer debt, right? High interest, credit card, loans, student loans where you borrow $170,000 and you make $40,000 a year. It's like, those are bad. That's, that's bad debt. You're gonna be a slave to that loan forever. And we gotta get out of that mindset that it's okay just to like, throw caution to the wind and borrow all this money when the Bible says be really careful about who you borrow from and how much and how it impacts your life. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. <laughs> they're just like, they just wander into danger. The wise are looking around and they're, they're seeing things. And friends, I'll just say this is hard too because you can get taken advantage of in this world. I've talked to many people who they went to college. They didn't have parents who were helping them. They're like, I walked in and I signed a paper and I didn't realize that, that was, you know, $50,000 in debt on that signature. And, there, and so this is part of what community does too is there is a wealth of financial wisdom in this church. And so one of the things Annie and I committed early on, because I was a pastor, I'm married into a wealthy family that has businesses and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm a pastor. I don't know anything about this stuff. And so we made a commitment that we would never make a financial decision without talking to Annie's dad first. 
And we've kept that commitment. We have not made a single financial decision without talking to her dad. And there's multiple times he works out a spreadsheet and it's like this genius, it's like a genie in this computer and it spits out a thing that says yes or no. <laughs> and he's literally like, he just says this. It was, it's so gentle. He says, I, I wouldn't do that. And then I'm put to a test. Why would I do anything financially that her dad wouldn't do? That'd be so dumb. If I'm like, well, my four years of Bible college really equipped me to like <laughs> make these decisions. And it has saved us so much pain and difficulty and striving by surrendering ourselves and submitting to him in humility and just saying like, hey, if you say that's not a good idea, we will not do it. We won't do it. And the cool thing is he's not the only one. Now I have lots of people in my life I can talk to about these things and God does that. But even James, he says this, come now you say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? right? What is your life? Be, be careful about the plans you make for the future, right? Be careful. Um, so you live on the next 80% without debt. I love this one. This is just a really interesting way. Grow into business, don't go into business. And you're kind of like, what does that mean? Well, one of the, I think is what he's saying there is like, don't strive after the success that you have in your mind. Allow it to happen as you live wisely, as you go, and pray about things. Ask the Holy Spirit, this deal I'm looking at, right? This job opportunity I'm looking at, is this you or is this me? Is this my ambition or is this your ambition for me? And, and sometimes you'll get God's answer that's just like, what do you want, <laughs> right? What do you want to do? Do you want to take this job or that job? And a lot of times you just get freedom, but there's times, right, where Paul is looking at his missionary journey. He's trying to go this way, and the, he sees the Holy Spirit, and he just says, stop. And then he has a dream of a man in Macedonia say, come here. And he's like, okay, Lord, he stopped. I'm going to go that way. So you, we have to be in this thing with God, right? The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty, and so many times we're hasty in our financial decisions, right? So I had a friend, he said, uh, when I want to buy a car, I wait six months. That's my, that's my limit. I, I wait six months, and then I say, at six months, if I'm prepared, if I've saved, then I buy it. You know, and he, he's just, he's like, I just try to insert some discipline and diligence into my decision making, because I know I could just be like, because he's like, I have the money right now. I could just walk on the lot and buy the car, but I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want to choose things just because I can. I want to know what should I do according to wisdom. One of these things, I love this, uh, these statements that Amy's grandpa has, if you can't sell it or eat it, don't buy it. Right? And I think it, it developed at one point, if you can't sell it, eat it, or wear it, don't buy it. Right? And again, this is a proverb, right? But these, these are good things to remind yourself as you buy things, as you spend money, as you think about your business. Every tub has to stand on its own bottom. First time I heard that, I was like, I don't know what that means at all. Like, that makes no sense to me. But it was interesting because Andy's dad was like, well, what it means is the foundation has to be able to hold, right? Whatever you put into that thing has to be able to hold what you put in there. And one of the most dangerous things is to put wealth into a container that's not ready to contain it. Because it will collapse, right? It'll collapse. That's the story of the statue in Daniel. The feet weren't able to hold all the stuff they put on top of it, and it, it collapsed. So you want to make sure that your life in wisdom is ready to hold the things that God might want to pour into it, right? You guys with me? 
Getting this? Awesome. Okay. This is one of my favorite statements. If you know me, I've discipled you, I've been in your life, you've, I guarantee you've heard me say this. Get the facts, face the facts, make a decision, do it quickly. Do it now. I love this. Get the facts. Right? Which is, it's, it can be difficult sometimes. Most times it's pretty easy. The hardest thing is really to face the facts, to admit what's happening. And this is really important, th- uh, friends, in, in your financial life when things start to go wrong. When things start to go wrong. Because we, we ignore the facts, right? We, we know they're there. We're like, ah, if I just don't open that statement, it'll be fine. If I just don't see that person, my banker, I'll just be like, ah. Oh. And it's like, so we, we face the facts and we make a decision. Now, again, this is in the context of the wisdom of Proverbs, many counselors, <laughs> prayer, right? The scriptures, you're listening to things. But um, this has helped me so much because it's allowed me to be decisive, Right? It's allowed me to listen to God and to choose and then to start. And what happens is I, I truly feel a lot of the ways that I've like done well in life is simply by having initiative to start running after God. When I, when I get the facts, I know what I need to do, I start right away. It's like, okay, I'm going to do that. And then God will course correct me, right? If I get a little bit off, I just trust the Holy Spirit to do that. Proverbs, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Are you thankful for that? Slap in the face. Um, I love the proverb. Again, these are not my words, friends. These, this is the Bible. Get the facts at any price and hold on tightly to all the good sense you can get. Get the facts at any price. Get to the truth of a situation at any cost, right? Any enterprise is built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts, right? So you've just got to live. So many times with our finances, we don't live in reality, we don't live in reality. And one of the ways we try to make a new reality is by taking on debt, right? It's like, oh, if I could just borrow a little bit, maybe next year I'll get that right? Rather than saying like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm actually going to live far below my means, <laughs> right? So that I can do these things and I can grow into business. One of these things I've got here on the sheet, it says, uh, if it costs more than $1,000, get three bids. I, I love that. Get the facts, Right? If it costs more than $1,000, get three bids. Why would you take the first one you get? It's just a whiz, these are just wisdom uh, and things. One of the things um, Annie's dad did that her, her grandpa did with his parents, uh, with, with uh, his kids, is he would give them, I think it was a dime, is that right? A dime a week, and they had to show that they gave a penny and saved a penny. And I don't know, do you know what age they started? Lance, do you know? I was, it, was pretty, it had to be pretty young, right? <laughs> Blake said when they were an infant. I was a baby holding a, a penny. Um, but yeah, so, so they actually, all these kids had their ledger books from the moment all the way through. And, 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 and I think they, let, Kirk was like, I had it in my 20s. I was still tracking it in this book. I would track every dollar I made and where I gave it and how I saved it. I mean, it's like, it started this diligence, right? Proverbs 27 says, riches can disappear fast and the king's crown doesn't stay in his family forever. So watch your business interests closely. You should have a clear view of your financial picture of where you're at and how things are going, right? It's just, it's just wisdom. Know the state of your flocks and herds, right? You've heard that before. Know the state of your flocks and herds. How are things going, right? How much money did I make last year? If I counted for all the things, this is where you get mint.com and it's literally like a, like a glass of cold water in your face. You're like, I spent how much on coffee last year? Because you could just like 
like kind of black out on all the stuff you, you like, you know, your clothes or other things. You're just like, oh my goodness, I thought I, made, I, thought I saved this much last year. I just didn't. <laughs> it, was, it was less, right? So you just need to know those things. So last thing, and I love this one, be frugal with yourself and be generous with others. And, and, and this is just, you know, just again, it doesn't mean you're, you can never be generous with yourself. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Greg Dewey, I always say Greg Dewey's um, quote there. Right? It's not that you're never generous with yourself, but it, it's also your practice is, is some limitations in your life to allow for margin, to bless people, to give to people, to give to God's work. Right? Be frugal with yourself. Be generous with others. Second Corinthians 9. The point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I love all the alls in there. <laughs> Isn't that good? Like, if you honor God with your wealth, honor the Lord with your wealth, well, he, he has all sufficiency in all things at all times, so that what that you may abound in good work. If you have good work on your heart for this world, you're like, man, I just want to produce good things. I want to impact the world. I want to honor God and give him glory. This is it, right? There's great gain in godliness with contentment, for we not brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content, it's great gain and godliness with contentment. And then the last one, I love this Leviticus. When you harvest your crops, don't reap to the corner of your fields. Don't pick up stray grains of wheat from the ground. It's the same with your grape crop. Don't strip every last piece of fruit from the vines. Don't pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Let them, leave them for the poor and for those traveling through. For I'm, the, I'm Jehovah your God. So this is called gleaning, right? The poor would come to the fields and they would glean. This is where we meet Ruth in the Bible. Ruth is gleaning the fields of a righteous family because they've obeyed this command. They've left things in the field for people to come and receive. And so this is where, where we are frugal with ourselves and generous to others, right? We, we allow the corners of our finances to stay just to see what God wants to do. And what's funny is this is after tithes and offerings, right? This is, this is an addition to, and what God is saying, he's saying, trust me with the center of your field that I am enough, I can give you enough. I can bless the center of your field so much you'll never need the corners. Right? You won't even miss it when it's gone. You'll never even know it. And I love right here, it says, train your children to be wise, wise stewards of God's resources in this. Right? So we, we train our children. We let them see. So can I just tell you, as your kids get older, will you let them see your generosity? Let them participate in your giving. That's one of the reasons I love change for a dollar because kids love to take cash and put it in the box. And you know what's happening there? It's shaping their hearts. Just shaping their hearts. Right? Our family gives. We love to give. And then we hear the stories. You get to say, oh, Hear that story? That lady's light bill was paid or she had a funeral or her car got fixed. Our family helped that. We're part of that, right? Let them participate. And in some measure, as you can, as they grow, let them participate in your financial decisions as a family. If you're saving for retirement, let them see how much you save and why. And, and again, this is age appropriate. You'll decide that as a parent when your kid's ready for this. But, but if, if all of your finances are always a secret, how will your kids be prepared to handle money? And I'll, I'll just be honest, some of the worst fights with young couples about money are not their fault, it's their parents' fault. 
because their parents didn't do any financial training with them and they just sent them off and they're like, I don't know how much my parents made, how much they saved, how much they gave. I don't know how much we own. I've never balanced a checkbook. I've never paid a bill. I've never made a deposit. Anybody, I mean, I literally, that was me. I had, I had nothing when I moved across the country to be a youth pastor and I had to figure it all out by myself. Um, and so we don't want to do that to our kids. That's part of our generational community, right? Todd, Todd says amen. So I want to wrap up um, real fast with a, with a story. And, um, and this is, this is kind of like, these are all wise principles and they work. I just want to tell you, they work. But I also know that many of us have received things along the way. <laughs> right? From our family, from our, 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 you know, families of origin, all these things. I just know that a lot of times we have these scripts running through our mind about money. So one of the things in mind, being a pastor's kid was like a scarcity mindset. I mean, I was just like, I have to save so much money so that I'm not poor. I mean, I just had this thing. So I had a year as a youth pastor, I saved 50% of my income after taxes, I mean, I was just, I was living like a pauper. I mean, I was just like, like a, I was Scrooge McDuck in my tiny 400 square foot apartment, just like looking at my bank accounts like, good, I'm safe, right? And then I marry into Annie's family where it's like, they don't worry about money. And I'm like, this is like, <laughs> I gotta figure this out. What is, what is this? And it, it was like, God was like, oh, I wanna release you from some things some fear around these things. And so I, I heard a story the other day, I thought about it, and the person who told me the story showed up. So I asked him, I was like, Lance, would you share this story? I asked him during the greet. So um, uh, <laughs> I love this. They didn't clap for me when I came up. So you're, you're off to a good start. Um, so real quick, um, so the father wants us free. Um, I mean, he wants us free from addiction. He wants us free from physical pain. He wants us free from self-hatred. He just wants us free. Mm. And in Jesus Christ, the price has been paid for our freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, but you know, our, our battle is against the world and the flesh and the devil and, um, the enemy, I mean, even the enemy that is in, in our own flesh wants us bound up, including in the area, area of finances. But years ago, um, there was a, a very successful business person who had bought a rice plantation in the Carolina Low Country, um, which is just a beautiful place in the, in the world with incredible food editorial note, but, um, and and this man really wanted to redeem this property and, and the original house from the mid 19th century and all of the other structures on the property and the grand entrance. And, and, um, I, I I don't know the acres and acres and acres of, you know, beautiful trails to walk on and places to run and places to hunt and, and, um, but he had befriended a, a mutual friend, and this mutual friend would gather leaders from time to time um, just to get away and spend a few days dreaming about kind of what God's doing in the world. And, and, um, and so uh, Stacy were invited, Stacy and I were invited to, with just a few other people, to go and spend a weekend at this place. And, um, and so um, one evening before dinner, our host said, Hey, you know, usually when people come here, they like they would like to have a tour of the main of the main house. There's just lots of history here, and be happy to do that before dinner tonight. Whoever wants to come, and so of course everybody shows up. And there's just a few of us. Well, we start walking through this house, and 
and um, um, and I, I just start to sense the presence of the Lord, and and I've ex- have enough experience with the Holy Spirit to kind of know when something's cooking, and um, and I start to get kind of like I'm really experiencing God's presence and I'm getting kind of teary and I'm like, what is going on? I mean, like at the end of the day, this is just a house, you know, I mean, I've seen the Rocky Mountains, you know, Um, I've seen Glacier. I mean, I've seen splendor, you know, much greater than this house. So, but but I'm just like, what is going on in me? I mean, I felt like I was about to like just start weeping. And uh, my friend, one of our hosts, he turns around and he says, isn't this fantastic? He said, you know, I've actually been in this house when God has broken a spirit of poverty off of people. It, and I literally was just like, I'm going to have to go in the other room. <laughs> and and, and, and le- later that evening, I mean, I really had a, had a time where I realized, you know what, I had gotten bound up in my heart in some ways I wasn't even aware of. And God just used this goofy house tour and the humility of this man that, that was really trying to use his wealth in such a redemptive way. And, and it, honestly, but it was just a moment. You guys, life with Jesus is supernatural. I mean, he is constantly speaking to us. You know, um, uh, you can lean in to the presence of God. But, and I don't know, I don't have any big like outcome from that. And honestly, I can't tell you exactly. I just know there was something in my heart in the area of finances that had gotten like you might get a crick in your neck. I mean, like something that actually was causing pain and was binding me up. And we have such a good father. He just wants us free. So there's no wisdom principle from Proverbs there other than, you know, Life with Jesus is every moment of every day, and he's constantly speaking to us and wants us whole and free. And maybe this morning you're bound up somewhere in some aspect of your financial world, and, uh, and he wants us free. So anyways, if that blesses you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have the band um, come up. Isn't that beautiful? And it just made me think this morning. That story came to mind, and I was like, man, I need to share that. Because the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? You know? Freedom. Freedom in every area of your life. There's freedom. And there's so many ways that we worry about money, or some of you in here, you've like created wealth, and there's this pressure to feel guilty about it. That's not like... God's not here to make you feel guilty about what he's given you. He's here to teach you how to steward what he's given you. How to live in freedom in accordance to what he's given you. And we all say, we say all the time, everything belongs to God. And then it's just like, ah, oh, well, it belongs to him. Just hold it open-handed, right? So I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite our prayer team up. Because I just really feel like, um, like Lance said, I had a bunch of stuff that needed to be worked out of my life that was just like, fear, and like I'd never seen a car work past one year. Like, I was just like, pastors are the worst at buying car. I don't know what it is. It's like demonic. We need to break that spirit this morning, but it was just like, I, I mean, so it like paralyzed some of my decision making. It was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to buy. If I do this, it was, I mean, it's just like, and the Lord's just like freed me of that, right? By being around people who are free. 
Um, and so we have prayer leaders trained to pray and trained to just listen to the Spirit's voice. And so I just want to say, if you have anything going on, I love how Lance said that's bound up. They're just like, I don't know what it is, but this thing, or I don't know what to do about it. We're going to pray because God will speak to you and God will work it out, right? And then what you do is you take that freedom and you start to implant these principles. You just start working it out and then God will put his finger on something else. Like, hey, I want to do this. I want to talk about this. I want to work through this. Amen. So I'm going to pray for you. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads real quick? So Jesus, we love you. We know that you hold all authority on heaven and on the earth. Which means you have authority over marketplaces and jobs and careers and bank accounts, Lord. You, like everything that is, is held together by you. So we just want to come to you this morning as Lord. just say, we want to honor you with what you give us. We want to live wisely in the world, but we also, we just, we want to be free in relation to wealth, God. We don't want to serve two masters. We want to have one master, Jesus, and we want it to be you. We want you to lead us in this way. So I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, if there's anything in anyone that just needs to be brought into the light, needs to be healed, needs to be restored, Lord, needs to be broken off, whatever the language is, I just pray that you would do it. Search our hearts. Search our hearts. Search our hearts, Holy Spirit. I pray if there's healing between spouses this morning, Lord, about money, I pray that you do that. I pray that you bring us into unity about what our life looks like in surrender to you. So we just love you, Jesus. We just say you're a good shepherd. You're a good master. You're a good savior. You love us. Pray right now. Pour out the love of Jesus through the Holy Spirit right now. Just pray in Jesus.